Welcome to RevAmp, the revenue amplification podcast powered by DealHub.io. I'm your host, Gideon Thomas, and we will be speaking to some of the most exciting revenue leaders within the community. Kostya, welcome to the RevAmp podcast show. Uh, we're delighted to have you on board here today. And for those people at home who don't already have the pleasure of knowing you, could you just maybe introduce yourself, your role, and a little bit about the company where you're working now? Uh, yeah, thank you very much for the interrogation. And I'm uh, excited and happy to be here. Um, my name is Kostya Mirkovic, and I um, recently joined Modern Hall to help build into a strong foundation and as their VP of Revenue Strategy and uh, Operations. Uh, before that, I started my sales ops career uh, when I switched from consulting and banking uh, with LinkedIn and a brief stint with G2. That's awesome, Kostya. And for those who, uh, is there anything about you that people wouldn't know uh, from your LinkedIn profile? Anything that, uh, that is maybe unique to yourself or, or something that, uh, that you enjoy doing? Yeah, thank you. That's a lovely question. We used to ask that at LinkedIn. Um, I used to be a nightclub DJ for seven years. So I played uh, a good amount of uh, house, like tribal house and Latin house. And then uh, once I moved to London, London, I kind of toned that down a bit and, and still do it occasionally. But that's uh, not on LinkedIn profile. Still very present sometimes. <laughs> I, uh, I always, yeah, it's always surprising when you tell me that. I think you, you mentioned that to me before, but uh, but a great to see that you're diverse in, in many senses. Um, so just before we even get into the nuts and bolts of it, I imagine working in RevOps leadership and strategy, there's probably certain advantages of coming through the, uh, the career background that you have. How did you translate that, first of all, into your current, you know, those experiences into your current role? There were... Three things that I did. So one, um, I think one of the most important uh, success factors in sales ops or revenue ops is to build trust both with the sales and CS team and, and their leaders. And um, having been a seller and in client-facing roles, both as a consultant with Bain and Accenture and as a salesperson for Deutsche Bank, uh, that really, really helped uh, kind of build that connection and empathize with the sellers. Uh, the second piece has been that uh, having a strong consulting toolkit uh, allowed me to, even if I didn't like functionally done sales ops before 2016, um, I was able to approach the problem solving in a way that a consultant would approach a business problem. So to understand what are the most important business drivers, um, what can we do to, uh, yeah, to what are the most important metrics? How do we define what great looks like and what are the levers to pull to get those? And then I think the third thing uh, that uh, set me up for success is most of the companies that I work with were global. So um, having worked in London, having worked in US, in, uh, in banking and in consulting, uh, that gave me that uh, adaptability to work uh, with different cultures in a fast-paced environment. I imagine too that, with that finance hat, you probably have an idea not only for what the CEO maybe wants from you in terms of measurements and, uh, and data insights, but maybe what the CEO might want to report back to the, uh, to the VCs or the investors. I imagine there's always one level further that data and reporting can be taken, right? Yeah, totally. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I think that uh, the finance uh, experience taught me to be able to understand how uh, 
an action or a lever that a rep pulls, how that translates into a dollar or a euro or a pound, and how that uh, makes it all the way back to the you know, the major financial statements. Um, so one example, what uh, we recently did with uh, uh, at Modern Health has been uh, you know to do exactly that. So provide what is like the full uh, output looks like and kind of share that with investors across the business, across the time periods and across the teams. And uh, I'd say that the strongest partnership I have is with a finance VP. Um, and it's not just to deliver the output, but also it's a usually very good thought partnership. So we like to challenge each other and uh, it like adds to the rigor and, and to make each other grow. So yeah, I think that's like a key partnership to success for the company. Very good. And I imagine one of the challenges that you had coming into modern health and being the fact that they are a younger company and you're building out processes from the ground up is you probably had to deal with the very much with the building blocks. So I guess, uh, you know, from, from our prior conversations, what did that look like? Was it a, a case of a three month plan, a six month plan and a 12 month plan? What, what were the, uh, the building blocks that you, you put in place to build things out? Yeah. Um, there, uh, I look at it in terms of a three-month plan because I think uh, I was looking also for a place where I can come and add value within three months. And uh, within three months, I kind of bucketed across uh, four buckets. So one is to um, understand and learn the business. So learn from the reps, learn from the sales leaders, and use that for the second thing to build the trust with the sales leaders. And, uh, and well, in general, revenue mm-hmm. leaders. It's sales, marketing, and CS at Modern Health. Um, and that allows me in turn, once I understand the business and have uh, started to develop credibility, to focus on the third thing, which is developing quick wins. They're usually around simple processes, automation, something that's no regret uh, move, regardless of what a strategy is. Um, and then the fourth thing is um, developing a longer plan, longer roadmap. And uh, that's both related to hiring um, for my own team, related to strategy uh, and related to the revenue plans for this year and next year. Two themes from that that I'm going to dig deeper into. One is automating as opposed to manual processes. Suggests to me that you are not changing what already exists, but you are accepting it and improving it. So it's not like revolution. It's more like evolution is your first leadership philosophy as you, you step in. Is that, is that true? Have I understood that the right way? Yes, uh, totally. Because within the first three months, I still don't know what I don't know and what others don't know that I don't know. In the context of Modern Health, this used to be a company that was uh, 30 people around this time last year, and now we're over 200. So uh, that's been both evolution and revolution. But but from my, I also wanted to understand. And then as I do this... uh, incremental changes, not substantial changes. It's also a learning experience that informs these bigger things. Um, and also, I think there's another aspect of that uh, coming out of a place of humility. So in this case, like I'm not a domain expert, so I can't apply what I've seen as, let's say, LinkedIn as a best-in-class software company do for a business that also sells uh, services because we do have therapists and coaches. Mm-hmm. Right. And the second part that I wanted to dig into with you was building trust within your own sales organization. So you've said that that's important. That's something that's that you invest in. I'm guessing there are some normal barriers to a revenue operations leader coming in and building trust. That might be that that the normal misconception or preconception would be that you're very much target uh, obsessed. Somebody in your in your role, not necessarily you. Uh, very much target obsessed, very much into stretching, very much into kind of 
revenue goals and all the rest of it uh, above people. Just like the sales leaders. Yeah, not, Sometimes. Not, not, that, <laughs> not, not too dissimilar there, but you're saying that trust building is something that you recognize and, uh, and probably is working for you, otherwise you wouldn't be talking about it. So how are you authentically building trust given that those challenges are probably still true, true for you what are, what are the methodologies that you're using? How are you empathizing with the salespeople? And, and where, where are you willing to stand up and advocate for them? Thank you. These are, these are great questions. Um, so the first is I like to educate myself on the content before I spend the time live. And I think this is where Gong and Chorus uh, help. Um, it allows me to, under, to hear like the tone of different sellers, of sales leaders, uh, and, and, and as well educate on the business. Um, the second aspect is uh, really to understand what's on top of the mind uh, for the uh, sales and sales leaders. And one of the questions that I like to ask is, how, else do, how do you define success in addition to hitting your target? Because usually, uh, not, not everyone, but most tend to be, as you mentioned so much, target focused that sometimes you lose, uh, uh, not lose, but don't consider as much the other aspects, whether they're related to the operations or to the talent, which uh, I think is like also number one operating priority. So that I think demonstrates two things. One that I, uh, I mean, I do genuinely care and I'm interested because uh, for me to understand what's on top of their mind, it, uh, it gives me information so I, can, uh, fo- so I can focus on better and slot it if I think it's going to be something that's a quick win. If I think it's something that's uh, maybe not relevant, but not for this month or this quarter. Um, and then uh, I think the second aspect of that is, uh, and I heard this is in one of my interviews, is uh, trust is definition of promises kept, uh, or at LinkedIn used to say consistency. So now that um, I have an understanding uh, of the problems or challenges, um, committing and executing those. And, and, and the challenge, I think, the second half of your question as well is... Um, when you commit to executing that, and now the set of priorities change, so the inbound that comes in is different, um, kind of staying the course, um, because if I commit to the new inbound, I would automatically renegotiate on the old one. And I think having the trust in the first place is uh, allows me to be in a space where I can say, hey, now this is totally makes sense, this priority or this change you want to make or, or adding a new metric. Um, but, you know, we committed to these and... Uh, mm-hmm. I think right now, if you were given everything, you, I would say we would still probably execute this one if we committed first and then this one second. And because there's the trust in space, um, it usually allows uh, a good, uh, good cadence and moving forward, as well as allows me to uh, manage and lead my team effectively. So they're not in, in a red space. What struck, me, what struck me for the first time, even though it's obvious is, or should be obvious is that once you have trust, then you have something to lose. Uh, I haven't heard it shared with me on the, on the kind of ongoing podcast series, you know, the spotlight for revenue operations leaders of how important trust is to them. And now you, you said it back to me. I realized that once you have it, you have something to lose. You know, once you have their trust, that's something that you, you can't gain twice. You know, you, you maintain it, but, uh, but you shouldn't or couldn't uh, give it away once you have it. So that's, that's really important. That's really fascinating. And I imagine on a very human level in sales, Part of that is them ultimately seeing that they have a better chance of reaching their targets. I mean, it's not just that you will defend them when they're perhaps underperforming, but it's also that you're helping them to yeah. achieve their shared goal with you, which is to achieve, right? 
So I guess they uh, they believe that your experience, your insights, your direction, your observations will ultimately get them towards that, and they're willing to do it in a new way, even if maybe it's unfamiliar to them. And that is an old adage for salespeople, right? Which is this is the way that we've always done things and therefore it's comfortable because it's familiar and change is the chief cause of conflict for many, but perhaps not all. Do you have any specific best practices for introducing uh, change or change management? I'm sure you do because you worked in consulting for many years. So if, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't know change management, then uh, it would have been a short career. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a line from... Uh... From Jeff Weiner, the former CEO of LinkedIn, uh, his strategy was, uh, he would say, you know, just because you said it doesn't mean it's going to happen. And, and the flip side of that is repeat, 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 and then repeat more. Um, because uh, I think uh, that that's one thing that uh, communicating consistent message uh, multiple times a day or multiple times a week uh, is something that I that I think helps, and uh, and ensures that um, you know that, that people are uh, people are hearing the message, and eventually following, uh, or not follow not not following, but eventually they're buying into it. Uh, and one of the things that uh, you know, I'll give you a specific example. One of the things, the first things that I look at, because you mentioned I am uh, a bit biased towards metrics is to understand uh, what is the forecasting look like? In other words, do we know where we're tracking for the quarter and for the year as a total business? And um, with my time both at LinkedIn and G2 and now at Modern Health, I was able to build that process and got it like within uh, less than an hour a week um, from the reps and sales leaders. Mm -hmm. But in, in order to do that, um, it requires a very specific brief communication from the uh, from the salespeople, sales leaders, and myself. So you can get through, uh, you know, 10, 15 reps in a given call. Um, and uh, one of the things, uh, the second method, you know, it's not just repeating, but also like giving the time. So like, hey, we're not going to get this right in the first and second time. It's probably going to take us a month, maybe six weeks to hit the iteration and the cadence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's be compassionate. We know where we're driving forward. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll get there. So the flip side of that is something around the patients as well. Just on that prior note, I'm pretty sure, or correct me if I'm wrong, have you uh, ever employed my wife or been coaching her? Because she's definitely an advocate for your repeat, 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 and repeat <laughs> philosophy. I, uh, <laughs> I hear that often at home. <laughs> but on a more serious note. <laughs> yeah. Is it working? <laughs> is the change management in a relationship? No, not really, working? not with me, but, uh, but probably, <laughs> probably with everybody else. Uh, now, uh, on a more serious note, I think one, one piece that's probably really valuable uh, for your success is the ability to differentiate between good data and bad data, good KPIs and bad KPIs, you know, numbers that, that really make a difference. What is your lens or yeah, essentially your, your lens for, for filtering the good from the bad when, uh, and you know, reducing the noise. How do you go about that? Another great question. I think this is where consulting toolkit came a lot because like, we got trained very well uh, for sense checking and triangulating. So in other words, like how do you spot a number that's like off? Uh, so I, I would ask a question um, that uh, something as a basis of comparison. So let's say if I see a data um, that um, 
I can come in in modern health and I see like uh, what an average uh, average spend is, let's say per employee per month. I would like to understand, okay, well, how much do I spend? Uh, so I know I have a, a, had a coach in the past, I had a therapist in the past, well, I still have a coach. Uh, and um, I would try to understand like, okay, if I spend this much, for, let's say coaching session of $100 and, I'll, and certainly you know, I would make an assumption about uh, from my own experience, kind of like heuristics role, and then map it onto what I see if the data that I see like makes sense. And that, that's something that uh, I also like screen for when I when I hire people because colleges don't teach that. Well, they haven't when I went. Uh, and uh, so that, that's like the first thing. And then the second thing is um, I triangulate. I mean, sometimes I would just go and ask someone next to me when we were in the office, hey, does, does this look right to you? Like, or does this look off? Uh, and then usually, uh, you know, that's good enough. And even if it's slightly off, then I kind of peel the onion and, 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 and expose the data. Um, that does rely on one thing that I assume that a technical aspect of building a model or, or that if it's a model or that um, the software that I'm looking is working. So, and, and for that, I have to have trust in other people. So it's uh, back to the trust part. Yeah. So that's the uh, the immediate three months, and, and you're beyond that now at Modern Health, right? So uh, yeah, just uh, two days over. <laughs> so that's the advantage of us now speaking before and speaking now. Now that you've just reached that three month milestone, did it go the way that you expected? Were there any kind of um, surprises along the journey as you look back? And this one, uh, no, there weren't. Uh, there weren't that many surprises. Um, yeah, I think the same things that I entered in February, and I, I guess I would add to the previous question. I also adopt a hypothesis-driven approach, so I estimate what the, um, what data I would expect to see, uh, and that was something that I also learned uh, at Bain. Um, and uh, it was same thing with the ninety-day plan. Like I provided what I think it would be, keeping an open mind that it could be completely wrong, uh, and. Um, it turned out that a lot of them were like right, uh, right things to focus on coming in. And now it's uh, taking the, the fourth bucket, which is a longer term plan, as well as with 22 coming around the corner. Um, yeah, framing what it looks like uh, for 2022 and like uh, setting the team for, for growth and for plan for that. Yeah. Wow. So Practically that means producing OKRs uh, for uh, yeah. the next few weeks and sharing those. So you literally jumped from the, th the 90 day uh, kind of warming up period to perhaps the next nine months of continuation and execution. And even before that, beyond that, there's the, uh, there's the next year plan, which is also percolating right now for you. So it's been quite steep changes, right? 90 days and then the rest of you know the rest of the uh the financial year or calendar year and then already be beyond that you're already starting to 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 seed your planning for the for the following year that's surprising N not in a as a criticism or negative but uh that's also good is that well for me the way the way that i think about it because it may it may help is uh if even if you have like a, a soft target uh, we, we do have a good understanding and I have a have a good like gut feeling about uh, both for 2022 and a year behind kind of working back from that what are like some of the actions that I've no regret like uh, even even if like a strategy shifts a little bit which is unlikely that what are the tactics that we can still do now before the half of 2020 to 2021 
Um, so it's kind of light touch on that, uh, that uh, beyond nine months and like a heavy touch on how does that inform what we do now and doing that now. So how far are you willing to look back in order to look forward? I know you have the, the, the three months and two days under your belt right now. How far back did you look into the data in order to be, look, be able to look forward for, for nine to 12 months onwards? I think for this business, yeah, it's 15 months, just because it, it has grown uh, very uh, rapidly since the January 2018. Uh, so even if the, you know, we have data, it needs to be the relevant data. So for this one, I would say 15 months. Um, at the G2, I would look for two and a half years. At LinkedIn, was three years. Well, depending on the business line, because some were acquired. But yeah. But for this one, yeah, it's uh, it's that, and then also put like heavier heavier weight on what happened last Q4, uh, so 2020 Q4. Fantastic, Katya. And Kostya, just my last question for you here: Is there any question that I should have asked you today uh, that I missed out through through not knowing enough enough about you or or your process? Was there any uh, additional kind of information that you think would really share value to, to those listening uh, at home? I think. Uh, why sales ops uh, or why revenue ops? And um, I'm gonna uh, just give you a quick uh, answer on that. Um, so when I when I moved from London to San Francisco and decided to pivot into tech, I never heard of the field before, and uh, it came as I was speaking with uh, one of one of my friends who was in business development at LinkedIn. Um, like, hey, you know, where do like uh, MBAs and uh, non-engineers like uh, go? He said, yeah, it's usually BD, biz ops, sales ops. I'm like, what's sales ops? So, uh, and it's a really interesting thing because uh, you're still doing a lot of what is uh, similar work to consulting work with a little bit of systems, but it does have this proximity to the transaction and proximity to, uh, to adding value from a top line growth uh, that is uh, fast paced and you have to balance uh, what's happening in a current quarter month and uh, in a year or two years out. And uh, those are the things that uh, excite me as well as I think the client facing teams uh, like salespeople and uh, sales uh, happen to be a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, excited to be in the field. Fantastic, gotcha. Kostya, thank you so much for, uh, for being a standout gentleman, sharing your, your insights, your knowledge, and your wisdom. Um, I definitely would love to track your journey and your success. I'm sure modern health are on an upward curve right now, and there'll be a lot to see over the next year or two here. Cool. Um, so thank you from, from myself and all of the RevAmp team. It's been a pleasure to have you on board here today, and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gideon, and stay safe. Thank you.